This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Praise the Lord. So good to be with you today. Uh, I'm Pastor Larry Tomlinson. I'm not on staff, but I'm part of the preaching team, which, you know, I, I consider a great honor and a blessing. I tell you that every time, but it is to preach the Word of God to people and have them uh, trust you, especially people as wonderful as Pastor Kevin and Pastor Trenton and everyone, and say, yeah, you can, you can help us with this. I, I don't feel worthy, but, but God is worthy, and he will speak through, he spoke through a donkey, he can speak through me, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, let's make that real uh, for right now. I have been handed this to not forget to announce. Men's event, Saturday, 521, right? Men's breakfast, right? That's this coming Saturday. But here's the thing to remember. Register at the church Wednesday at 518. So this Wednesday, register, be register. If you don't, no bacon. Yeah, you want bacon, men? <laughs> register. I don't know what they're serving, but I know bacon is always good at a men's breakfast. Always. Frank, Frank, are we having no bacon? Sausage. Sausage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sausage or bacon. Pork. Let's just put it that way. Pork. Yeah. Salty, spicy, good pork. Yes. Mmm. 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 I would toss that down to you, Frank. Nah. We'll get it later. All right. Praise the Lord. Past, Pastor Kevin and Rhonda are away with uh, Pastor um, Sasser and Tiffany. I have a question. If Pastor Kevin is PK, is Pastor Rhonda PR? No? 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 no. Just wondered. Just, you know, those thoughts come to me. All right. But they're away having a vacation, getting rejuvenated, refreshed, all that sort of stuff. So pray that they have some more REs, you know and uh, get home and ready to roll and, and just look for the blessing of the Lord. I'm glad they can get away and I'm glad I could help uh, fill in the, the need there. The Relationship 101 series has been highly impactful. Have you enjoyed it? I, I, I haven't. It's made me squirm and twist a little bit in, in my chair. And that's, that's a good thing. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing because it urges me to do better, right? The condemnation of the devil makes you feel guilty and like a worm and lousy. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit says, hey, there's a better way to live. You could do this. Just put your mind to it. Put your heart to it. Focus on it and, and, and stay after it. Um, I, one of the reasons I think it's been so impactful for, for me is that I believe that uh, Trenton and, and, and Pastor and, and, and everyone has has focused, believe it or not, on the righteousness of God. Talking about relationships and how to, how to live them and how to move in them is, and doing it from God's word, he's right. God is right. Amen. And therefore he is righteous. And when we think about how to treat our spouses, how to treat our children, how to treat our parents, how to, treat, uh, uh, how to handle ourselves when we're single or when we're married, those sorts of things, that is the righteousness of God. And that leads to holiness. And I think that that's, that's one of the reasons it's been so good, is that that focus has been on your right walk with the people around you in relationship, but with God in mind, of course. And of course, that shows the th in the theme statement for this series, 
uh, it's an absolute foundation for any relationship that you might have. And that is that every healthy relationship flows out of your right and healthy relationship with God. And the one thing I would say about that, make sure you understand that it's your healthy relationship with others. You may be in a healthy, this is how it works. Someone is not really right with God or not really living up to what you feel is God's standard, but you can have a healthy relationship with them if you have a healthy relationship with God because you're working out of a health standpoint and not out of their same negative standpoint. Do you see what I'm saying? So you can have, uh, you can have maybe a child that's, that's not doing what they're supposed to do, parents, but you can have a healthy relationship working with that child because you're working out of God's Word and out of God's Spirit. That's a healthy relationship. And uh, we also know that, that uh, we've spent the last month looking at God's Word to discover and remind ourselves the purpose of relationships, the principles to navigate relationship, and His expectations of our role within relationships. Okay, so we're looking for purpose, principles, and expectations, and it's all based on that relationship with God. Healthy relationship with God, whether you're uh, dating or waiting, whether you're married, uh, parent, non-parent, friends, cousins, whatever, all those work best out of a healthy relationship with God and understanding those uh, purposes, principles, and expectations. Now, last week, Trenton delivered a wonderful message. Amen. Uh, it was great. I just appreciate Trenton's preaching. And, and uh, but he announced, he said, now he's preaching on the kids to parents, right? And, and I'm hoping Dane was listening. I, I really, really, really was, you know. I given up on Tammy a long time ago, but, but Dane, you know, maybe there's some hope there. They tease, you guys need to know that behind the scenes, I get razzed by my kids a lot. And it's only fair that once in a while I get a shot back, okay? Yeah, right? Okay. And he said last week that coming up was the parents to kids. Well, this week I'm not doing parents to kids. If you came as a parent thing, oh boy, we get our shot this week, you know. No, I'm sorry. You'll have to wait for that, that message, uh, you know, so that when your kids go to the counselor, they can always say it was my dad and mom's fault. But uh, I'm kind of a parentheses in here in between, and, and Pastor Kevin will be bringing you the message on on parenting. Instead, we're going to hit totally different sense of relationships, totally different sense of, of uh, um, not, not in families. As a matter of fact, let's put up the slide there for, for uh, I've got a quiz for you. There you go. Fill in the blanks. What word goes in the blanks? Anybody know? Who said it first? Somebody over here said friend. Was that Phil? Somebody, and I heard it back there too. Hi, Beth. The, uh, yeah, friend. Childhood friend, old friend, family friend. A friend in need is a friend indeed, which means they won't leave you alone if they need something, right? Uh, and your best friends, all those sorts of things. And uh, so you know what? You guys give yourself three bonus points, both of you. That's great. You got friend and you said it first. But if you go to sleep on me, you're going in negative territory. All right, so anyway, you got bonus points. Raise your hand if you got friends. Raise your hand if you are a friend. Okay. All right, good. Most of you are in on that. So far, we focus on the closest of human relationships, those caused by birth, right? Parent, children, that sort of thing, or the desire to become a spouse. 
being single, being married, those sorts of things. And now this, this week, we're going to uh, look at the friend because, you know, it's quite possible, it's very possible, as we look outside the family, you may have had more friends in your lifetime than you have family. If you have 15 friends that are really close and impactful and, that, and you only had four in your family, think about the impact difference there. Now, there's a huge impact of being in family. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you just can't say friends are over here, but family's all important. No, there is an impact with friends. You know, matter of fact, it's, it's very impossible, very possible that friends have lifted you up from circumstances caused by a negative family environment, that you went to your friend to talk and to get your ways and, and, and to vent and, and to hear some counsel and advice because you couldn't get it from mom and dad or you're dealing with a brother or sister or something like that. You went to a friend because you were a, a wife and your husband was distant and far, and he, and, and he and I'm not telling you to, to, to give intimacy there. What I'm telling you is that friends are important and impactful in our lives, and they're as necessary to us as any other relationship for us to be healthy and to be doing the things that God wants us to do. You need friends, and friends need you. The inner person longs for connection with God. And that's because that was placed there from God. Remember, it was he who said in Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone. Yes, he said that in the marriage context, right? He was talking about marriage. But he didn't create just Adam and Eve and said, we're done. That's it. Stop. No, he said, go and fill up this world. Fill up this world with people. And it's not good for man, woman, to be alone. It's not good for any person to be alone. We long for connection. Yes. We have a God-shaped vacuum in our heart, but we have a, just a connection-shaped vacuum in our heart, too. We need to be around people. I don't understand hermits. I don't understand. I could go off-grid, but I need to go off-grid with people, if I put it that way. We've always needed people in our lives, and, we need, and they need us in their lives. Say, people need me. Say it. People need me. People need me. And that's going to be a, a real thrust in our message today. The Bible has a lot to say about friends. It acknowledges that the relationships outside the family are extremely influential and necessary. And also it acknowledges because relationships are so powerful in influencing our thoughts and actions, they can be dangerous if not handled correctly. And it also acknowledges that we don't realize enough that we are to be the greatest influencer in our friend circle, if we can, but led by the Holy Spirit of God. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12, for example, talks about we need friends to get through the difficulties of life. Uh, chapter 4, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Most frightening thing in the world for uh, a lot of us who have elderly parents and they live alone is what if they fall down and they can't get to a phone, right? Think how awful that is to lie there for hours and, and you can't get help. <clears throat> Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And that just speaks to itself. Also, friendship. 
Trusted friends can speak honestly and lovingly to your character issues. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. They flatter you, but they don't really mean it. They're looking to manipulate you. But when a friend says, Look, Larry, you need, you need to preach better. And let me tell you why. I should listen and not just get all huffy. I should receive that. Because it's a friend. It's someone who loves me. Friends bring joy and refreshment. Proverbs 27.9 Just as lotions and fragrance give sensual delight, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. That's in the Message Bible. But because of the impact that friends can have, the Bible also warns of being careful on who to choose as a friend. How many of you have heard this phrase? They were doing fine until they fell into the wrong crowd. And that crowd they entered into because of what they thought was friendship. Right? They were doing great. They're doing great. I, I have counseled parents before, and they said, my girl was a straight-A student. She was getting, you know, and then she got into junior high, and all of a sudden her grades fell off, and things are going wrong, and I can't figure it out, and she's angry, and she's climbing out the window to run away. And, and I'm just telling you one story out of several like that. And I looked at him and I said, well, number one, they've got a friend that's using drugs and they've fallen into him. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The wrong crowd, the wrong friend. Friendships are powerful. So the Bible warns us about this. It says in Proverbs um, 20, 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Bad friends will betray you. Uh, the scripture, let's put the scripture up. Go ahead. I don't want to read it all, though. Uh, Matthew, but yeah, thank you. And, and Judas walked up to Jesus, gave him a kiss on the cheek, said, greetings, Rabbi. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. The Bible warns about being careful of who's your friend. It's, I think says something about the love of Jesus to call Judas a friend but he did. And if attempting to be popular means eventually you'll lose yourself. It says in Proverbs, what? A person of too many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Thank God for Jesus who sticks closer than a brother. But what this is talking about is, is, is the idea of popularity. Hey, you can be the guy who scores all the touchdowns and everybody loves you and all the girls want to date you, but be the guy who fumbles in the state championship game and see what happens to those people. There's a difference between popularity and friendship. And when you strive to be popular, you know what you have to do? You have to make every person in this room happy because you want to be, keep them happy. And they've got, and next thing you know, you're keeping this one happy, but that, that one makes that one unhappy. And the next thing you know, I've lost myself. I don't know who I am anymore because I'm trying to keep these people popular or keep the people in love with me. Well, let's talk about some definitions. Friendships are powerful. They can elevate and rescue or they can ruin or devastate. Oxford Online says, a person whom one knows, this is a friend, and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection, typically exclusive of sexual or family relations. So outside of your family, outside of your spouse. Merriam-Webster gives a sense of how there are multiple types or layers of friends. One attached to another by affection or esteem, acquaintance, one that is not hostile. That's pretty passive, isn't it? You just don't hate me, so okay, you're a friend. Um, one that is of the same nation, part of your group. But I like how Jess Scott defines friends. Friends are the family you choose. The key word is, those last two words, you choose. 
You choose your friends. Okay? You pick your friends. Not just your nose, but your friends. Okay? Statistics. So there's some important things for you to, to just get a grasp of how many friends can you have, how many do, do most people have. According to the 2004 Gallup poll, Americans have an average of eight to nine close friends. 2% say they have no close friends whatsoever. I don't know how to live like that, but anyway. 14% have one to two close friends, 39% have three to five, and you see it down to 27% have 10 or more friends. According to anthropologist Robin Dunbar, average human brains have a limit on how meaningful relationships they can keep track of. And they actually did these studies with, with monkeys and mice and all sorts of things, and they, kept, and they tracked it up through human beings. And they said it's not the same as for monkeys, but it, there is this, this thing that says in reality that you can have about five intimate bonds. So if, you, if you're married, there's one intimate bond, right? And, and then if you have two best friends, you've got three intimate bonds. And so this is the, an average person, you can manage about five of those. I would not put the parent-child relationship in there. And I'm gonna just amen something here, maybe ahead of Pastor Kevin, is you should love your children with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but they are not your spouse. Don't unload spouse stuff onto children. Okay? I just want to say that. I had a, I had a, a mother of a kindergartner told me, I've worked all these years for my child to be my friend. And I thought, what a waste of time that was. You're not a friend, you're a mother. Spank that kid, please, so I don't have to deal with him. <laughs> Whatever. You know what I'm saying. You're not supposed to be your child's friend. You're supposed to be their disciplinarian. You're supposed to be the releaser, the teacher, the counselor, the helper, the, the one who leads them and guides them, the one who releases them to guide themselves but you're not their friend. Okay. So anyway, you have 15 close friends, 50 friends that you maybe know enough to invite to an event, and 150 maybe casual friends. That actually ranges from 100 to, to 250, but the average person. You can only handle that. Now, this should say something to church growth, shouldn't it? This is why the older people are, the less they evangelize. Not because they don't want to, but because they have reached their limit on their friends. They have evangelized their friends. They have gone there, and they don't have a capacity to make, you know, to have more friends than what they got. And also why this side of the church needs to invite all their friends to church, and this side needs to invite all their, and this middle needs, and then next thing you know, those next groups need to invite more friends. It's got to multiply, because we can only have so many friends we can invite. Now, do we always stay open and always invite people to church or invite people to the Lord? Absolutely but you can only have a close friendship where you can evangelize up to a certain point. A recent survey uh, seems to support this theory. How many people, average amount of people on Facebook, average amount of friends on Facebook. Notice how smart Facebook was, call them friends. Friends, they're contacts. 155 friends on Facebook. That's already at the max of casual friends. Of those, they say 43, most people would say of the 155, 43 they consider a close friend. And only four would they go to in a crisis. So you see that there's levels of friendship. Now, walk this through in your own mind about your own friends. Who would you go to in a crisis? And who would you say, hi, how are you doing today? But that's about as far as you go. And you'd be friendly to them, but you're not necessarily super connected, right? 
All this takes effort out of the human soul. We won't long for connection, but when you try to be too popular, then it leads to a problem. When you try to shut yourself off, it leads to a problem. Just realize there are people that you're going to have an acquaintance with, and there are people that you're going to really just do this with. Okay? And most of us who are older know that that changes, too. That changes. There's people I've known, uh, some good friends of Jan and I, we've known them since... 1970 and we've been away and apart and when we came back and retired into Salem we got back together with them and it's just like nothing ever changed except our kids were older and had, we had grandkids and all that sort of stuff and that's the Schmitz right and uh, and so things change but sometimes we've got all you for good friends now right got great friends here's our attention statement for today oh I don't want to miss this paragraph I want you to notice what, how I've been preaching and what my focus has been on. What I have said over and over is, how many friends do you have? And we tend to get into this emphasis, how, many, how can I make friends? How can, the real question should be, how good of a friend can I be? How good of a friend can I be? So here's your attention statement. We can only be a good friend to others when God is our best friend for life. We can only be a good friend to others when God is our best friend for life. By the way, do you know there's chat speak, chat speak for best friend for life? You know what it is? Biffle. Biffle. Best friend for life. It's actually becoming a word now. Only they spell it out B-I-F-F-L-E. Biffle. I want you to look up and say God, I want you for my biffle. <laughs> Sounds sacred, doesn't it? Sounds holy. Biffle. God's my biffle. Come on, turn to somebody and say, God's my biffle. God's my biffle. God can laugh with you, you know. It's okay. When I say God's my biffle, then I feel baffled, right? That sort of thing. Anyway, the whole point is, can I be a friend of God and number two, how does that make me a good friend to others? Can I be a friend of God? And how does that make me a good friend to others? Let's deal with the first question. Exodus 33:11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Second Chronicles 27. Our God, did you not, oh, our God, did you not give out the inhabitants of this drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it before give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Job says this, even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high, my intercessor is my friend, as my eyes pour out tears to God, on behalf of a man he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. Yes, you can be a friend of God. It is possible to be close friends to God. As a matter of fact, Jesus chooses you to be his friend. We see this in John 15, and he tells us not only... Uh, uh, how to be not only his friend, but to be the best friend you can be to others. John 15, nine, starting with uh, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, we get into that word commands, we start thinking, oh, that means don't smoke, don't drink, don't go with girls who do, that sort of thing. That, that means... The word chew is in there too. Don't, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. 
We get to thinking commands. I read my Bible every morning. That's a command. I go to church every Sunday. That's a command. And we start piling up these legal things of command. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because what he said was, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So this is all about love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Here's his command. Here's his big command. is isn't going to church on Sunday, which you should do. It's this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here's the big one. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is saying to you, you're my friend if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I am chosen. I am chosen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. He has a command here. Love each other. Because we're to love God and love, love others. But that's how you get to be a good friend. This took place at the Last Supper. Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, including Judas, and he had called them friends, and he's now preparing them for his death, resurrection, and life with the Holy Spirit instead of his own physical presence. He's told them to abide in him, and they'll bear fruit. That's what I mean. And he defines what abiding means. As the Father God has loved him, and as he has loved us, we are to live in that love and give the same love to one another. That's the command of Jesus. Love each other. Love one another. There's not a church fight that's taken place where this was included in the fight. Love each other. There's not a, per, a spousal fight that's taken place where this was included. There's not a fight with your children. Love each other. Now we can say, well, I was loving my kids, but they were rebellious. But did you give your life for them? Because kids can tell you, you know, it's, it's great. It's great that you, that you uh, uh, paid for the house, Dad. But I sure would like you to sometimes sit down and just talk with me. Love each other. <clears throat> i got to move ahead here. So I'm going to say something bold here. <laughs> it may shock your delicate sensibilities, especially some of you who are so used to the Christian ease that we sometimes talk about. But realize I just read something from Scripture that is right in it. God's love is unconditional. That's not a shock. We've heard that over and over and over. He loves you no matter what you've done or where you've been, or who you are. If you were here and say, I don't know if God can love me. Yes, he loves you. Yeah. There's no question, no ifs, no buts. God loves you. He wants to save you, probably from yourself, but nonetheless, he loves you. He died for you with absolutely no regret, even though you may have denied him to his face or done horrible things. His love cannot be extinguished by your most awful sin. He loves you so much that he made salvation simple. He didn't even make it complicated. 
ask him for forgiveness, and live your life for him. Salvation. Boom. Right there. He didn't make it hard. He didn't make it difficult. He made it simple. But here's the bold part. His love is unconditional, but his friendship is conditional. We only become his friend when we do what he tells us to do. Love other people just like he loved us. Laying down our lives so that they might be successful. Notice that big two-letter if word in verse 14. Do you see it? If I do what he commands, I am his friend. And what is his command? Love. Gee, that's a tough one to fall off on, isn't it? That's not even like get up early in the morning and read the Bible. That's just love. Love people. Care about them. Lay down your life for them. Lay down your life for them in love, and then we can be the friend of God. So now I want to explain a little bit what I'm saying here. Just like we said, there's levels of friends. There's nodding acquaintances, people we kind of know, could maybe not even quite remember their name, but we can have a conversation if we fake it through, right? Clear over here to, to my best friend, the one I can tell anything for the most part and all that sort of stuff, the one I can listen to, the one I, uh, they'll listen to me. We've got that whole continuum of friendship. Everybody has this level of, of friendship. I don't want you to be a nodding acquaintance with Jesus, your Savior. I want you to be a best friend with Jesus, your Savior. The amount of love that you pour out. You know, you can be the Christian that doesn't ever go to church, doesn't do anything, doesn't help teach Sunday school, doesn't be an usher, doesn't do anything for God. Doesn't even tell your neighbor about Jesus, but you can love God. You can say, I, God, I'm, I want to be saved. But don't be surprised if you only have a nodding acquaintance with Jesus Christ. Move over here. Hey, I can tell my neighbor about Jesus, or I can go over and mow their lawn when they're sick. That, see, that's loving them. Then you can move over. I can, I can uh, do my best and, 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 and get into church and, and maybe love people a little bit more. You know, I'm, I'm not particularly enamored with, with being around three-year-old kids, but I can handle it for an hour on Sunday morning. I can do it, especially if I'm on a rotation, you know, that sort of thing. And you keep moving over to where, you know what? I had friends knock on our door once. Tears in their eyes. We're short payroll at, the, at work. Can you help us? They're still our friends. Because Jesus said, use money to make friends. Don't bribe them, but give and love. You want to be a friend with Jesus? You want Jesus to be really close with you? That voice you say, I don't never hear, you really want that to really hear it? Start loving people. Do what Jesus commands. Give yourself in love to your friends. I got to hurry here. I'm never going to get through this. I'm sorry for going so long. No, I'm not. Here we go. <laughs> Second service will be 11.30, folks. The, the, um, there's two examples of this. One found in the Bible, and then one I'll deliver for my personal self, okay? Uh, the Bible narrative is in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and the first time we see that Jonathan is the son of Saul the king, and he does a very brave and courageous thing in 13 and 14. He, 
He attacks the Philistines with just his armor bearer, and he kills about 20 of them or so, and he causes a huge rout of the Philistine army, and eventually the Israeli army figures it out and jumps on him. But he goes in like a single special forces guy and just attacks, and, and just and the God's with him. And he says, if God's will, if I'm in God's will, this is gonna, we're going to win. And then there's a couple chapters later in, in chapter 17, we see David kill Goliath. And then we go to chapter 18. Jonathan saw David defeat Goliath. And it says in, in 18.1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. And then down in verse 3, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David and along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. The attraction Jonathan had for David wasn't, hey, he's a hero. He's a big, brave man. No, that's, we have things in common with our friends. That was there. The attraction was what? He saw the anointing of God and saw the faith in God in David and knew that he could not have accomplished that without that same anointing that he had had back in, in chapter 14. That it was faith that caused this, to, this togetherness to happen. But he just, he just became one with him. Now, here's an odd thing for you. Can older people be friends with younger people? We tend to think Jonathan and David were the same age. They were not. Jonathan was probably 30 years older than David. But what's with this giving away the robe and stuff like that? Here's where we're loving like Jesus loves. The robe in that culture in that day that he wore was for the crown prince. The robe that he wore identified him as the son of Saul and said he's going to be the next king. His military hardware that he was wearing was a part of his authority and his rank. It said, he's the son of the king, and he will be the next king. And what does Jonathan do? He says, I recognize the anointing of God. I know you're going to be the next king. Here, this doesn't belong to me. This belongs to you. I give you my authority. I give you, I give you my cloak of identity. I give you who I am. Because I love you, and I care about you, and I would not resist the anointing of God for you. His love mirrors what Christ has done at the cross for you. Jesus laid down all the authority that he had on earth, in heaven, to die for you. He gave you authority in the kingdom. He lays the robe of righteousness upon you. He calls you into his presence and says, I want you to have the same spiritual relationship with the Father that I have. And I'm going to make that possible. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to be raised from the dead. Not for Jesus' sake, though he gets the glory. It's for your sake. Amen. This is loving someone else more than you love yourself. Now we go on. In 1 Samuel 20, and I don't have time to read this. You see the scripture up there. You can look it up or you can read it over my head. That's, that's no problem. But what happens is um, Jonathan extracts a promise from David. said, would you please, please, whether I try to keep me alive, because he was dealing with uh, Saul, his dad, and it was, Saul was trying to kill David. And he said, I know you're going to be the next king because you have this authority. I've already ceded this authority. Try to keep me alive. But if you can't, please take care of my family. Please, forever take care of my family. And David makes a promise. He makes a vow. He makes an oath. Yes, I'll take care of your family. And then we, we move down to years later in 2 Samuel 9. David fulfills this promise. Mephibosheth, 
say that 10 times fast, is the son of Jonathan. And he, in a childhood accident, he'd become paralyzed in his legs. And now David, after a civil war, has become king. Saul is dead. He's, he's, a, he's the king. And he says, is there anyone in Saul's house I can show kindness to? Because he remembered the promise of his friend, Jonathan, or to his friend, Jonathan. And he brings Mephibosheth in, and he invites him to what they call the king's table. You're going to eat with me. You don't have to provide your own food. I'm going to give you shelter. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to make sure servants take care of your property. It's all going to be good. Now, David did not act like any of the other kings ever. Because if you read through your Bible, you'll find out that, that uh, one king gets, he kills off the king ahead of him and, and kills all of his kids and he takes over, right? But then some cousin or some son that wasn't killed comes back and kills the second king and takes back over. And the kings just keep fighting back and forth. The families do. In David's mind, Mephibosheth could have been a threat to his, because he was Saul's grandson. But that's not what David does. David looks at him and says, I made a promise. I made a promise to lay down my life to my friend for you. And he brings Mephibosheth in. Again, a picture of Christ. Christ has chosen you. It says in John 15, I chose you to do what? To come into my house, to come into my dwelling, to come where I live, to come into heaven, to be with me. I, I, he acts like Jesus here. He takes an enemy and turns him into a friend. Someone he loves and sometimes he lays down his life for. He feeds them. He cares for them. Now then, let me give you an example out of my personal life. It's not nearly as deep, not nearly as heavy, but, but it's just as real to me. Uh, I have a friend, Dr. Carly Kendrick. He used to be president of Salem Bible College and then was dean at, at Northwest University. Great guy. Uh, the only problem is, is he's got the same problem that Pastor Kevin has. He's six foot six or so. You know, so I don't know how God mixes me up with these taller people. But nonetheless, um, uh, he, he attended our church at Iris Valley Church, and, uh, and uh, we became friends over the years. And, and uh, he's a golfer. He loves to golf, and he's a pretty good golfer. He golfs, he, he golfs like in, uh, in 70, in uh, a par of 72. Well, he, he's about... 82, 83, 84, and he loves to golf, and he had me come golfing with him. Well, oh, this is me. Notice those steps. This is the truth now. Oh, I get way more golfing than Carly. I was golfing at about 130, the same amount of, you know, holes, 18 holes. Terrible, awful, embarrassed. I never bent a golf club or threw one. Well, I threw one by accident when I, when I tried to drive and it slipped out of my hands, went up in a tree. But nonetheless, he kept golfing with me. He kept taking me golfing and he tried to teach me to golf. He, he, was, he, was, he was helpful. Larry, hold the club this way. Get your stance, ball position. No, don't do chicken wing. Do keep your arm, keep this arm in tight. Oh, over and over, because I don't learn well. And over the last three or four years, we've golfed a lot together, sometimes twice a week. And uh, I've actually got down to about 105 now. That's still terrible, but it's an improvement of 25 strokes. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah, woo-woo. That's what I thought. 
Every once in a while, Carly even says, hey, you did that right. I mean, it's <laughs> not often, but, it, but, but once in a while. Here's the deal. Carly loves to golf, and he's competitive. He didn't have to take Larry golfing. He didn't have to teach me anything. He could have invited one of you guys that knows how to golf. Maybe you're an 85 golfer. Maybe your competition would have helped him get below 80 just because he's a concentrated more. He wasn't dealing with me. He was actually could focus on his golf. But this is an example of friendship where someone lays down their life for somebody else. He loves to teach, and we have great friendship. We talk about everything on the golf course, too, you know. But the point is, I wouldn't be better at golfing. I'm not good at golfing, but I wouldn't be better at golfing if it weren't for this person who said, Larry, you're worth golfing with. You're worth it in my life to do this. That's, that's how you be a good friend. Out of relationship with Christ, you put somebody else first. That's how you be a good friend. Now, I want to move very quickly here. How do we make and maintain good friendships? How can I be a good friend and avoid poor relationships? Of course, we start with loving Jesus and following the Spirit, but then what? Well, let's go on to this next slide. I'm going to go through this relatively quickly. See people and greet people. When you walk into this church, you're not walking into a crowd. You're walking into a bunch of individuals who are in this church. Okay? Some of us could walk all the way up to this front aisle and sit down and not be able to name who we passed on the way through. Some of us can walk in here and say, oh, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see. And it's really, it's, so one way to be a good friend is when you see them as people, as individuals, and then greet them, say hello to them. Now, I know some of you are just really shy and don't know how to break the ice or anything, but you, you know what really works, especially with no mask mandate? Try this one. Make eye contact and smile. Right here. It's right here. It's not hard. Try it. Just smile. Make eye contact. Smile. I'll bet they smile back. I'll bet they do. I'll bet they do. And then you've got to greet them. Just say hi and give them a compliment. Give them a compliment. Who did I see today? Who was it? Somebody. They had a, I, I, now I've, I've lost it, but they had a, a, pretty, a pretty outfit. Oh, I think it was you, Mejia, my, great, my, my favorite middle granddaughter of my son, my son's middle daughter, my favorite. There, right, they're all my favorites. I have a, a definition for favorite for all of them. But she's wearing a nice outfit, and I thought that, that, and it's very easy. Walk up to someone and say, I really like how that looks on you. There you go. Just say something, okay? And then... Um, Learn the art of small talk that's safe. Try asking people what they've been doing. Don't ask, how, how are you? They'll say, fine. Say, what have you been up to? You'll have a conversation. It's, re it's real easy. Second, be with and do stuff with people. I have a good friend in, in, in uh, visiting today because I'm preaching. His name is Gordon Hoffman. He's in the back. I won't say his name, but it's Gordon Hoffman. He's right back there next to Dane. Okay. <laughs> I don't like him because he's st stolen my granddaughter's affection. But nonetheless, uh, Gordon, I know when we met. I can tell you when and where we met. I don't know if you can remember. We were at People's Church, and they were having a singing Christmas tree, and you and I started working on a construction for the set. And somehow we got thrown together. 
and we're building a set of stairs or something like that. And Gordon's a construction guy. He knows all this stuff. But you know what? He had a, he had a Ryobi uh, cordless drill, and I had a Milwaukee, and I had 12 volts, and he only had nine. <laughs> Whoo! Something to brag about, something to remember. Guy things, you know. No, the, the point being is, that's where we met, and now we've been friends, and that was about in 1986, 87, 88, 89, right? Somewhere in there. And we've been good friends, and matter of fact, he helped me plant a church and was a board member in that church, and we've been good friends. Do things with people. You know, this is why the church says, have men's breakfast. So you can actually come. Don't sit at the table with the same three people you know. Sit at a different table. You actually meet and make friends. It works. Okay, let's uh, keep moving. Be a giver. Now, I don't mean give them your money. What I mean is give them your time and your interest, uh, that sort of thing. It's, it's okay to listen to them tell a funny story and you don't tell a funny story trying to beat their funny story. It's okay to ask them questions and to, and to, and to spend some time doing what they enjoy. Walk with integrity. Did your friend tell you a story and say, please don't tell anyone else, and the first thing you did was blab to somebody? That's a good way to lose a friend. Okay? The only time you share a story that you've been asked not to share is when somebody says they're going to harm themselves or somebody else. Then you have an ethical duty to say, nope, I'm telling. Okay? Do you say you would meet your bud at a certain time? Well, don't just say, well, they love me. I don't have to get a hold of them. I'm late. No, you love them. Have integrity all the way through your life. Be honest in your speech and in your actions. And finally, reach out as much as you are reached. This means when your, your friend calls you and says, let's go shopping, let's go play basketball, let's go do this, let's go do that, whatever. Let's come over for cards, that sort of thing. When, when uh, Anne-Marie calls Jan and says, let's play some pinochle, we like it when Phil and, and you beat, beat us really bad, you know. Us ladies really bad. Right, Phil? That, they always talk like that. But what should happen? Jan should call Anne-Marie back in a while and say, let's go play cards. It's not a one-way street. They have to get a hold of me. You know how selfish that is? They have to get a hold of me or else they really don't love me. No, you reach out to them. Now then, what not to do in friendships? That's the next slide. Okay, and then that lasted that long. Let's go to the next slide. Number one, what you don't do. Don't compromise your faithfulness to God in a friendship. They will not respect you if you give up on what you say is important to you. So they want to go golf on Sunday morning. You say, I've got somewhere better to be. You want to go Sunday afternoon. You stand for the Lord no matter what. Don't expect your friends to do only what God can. Only God can make you truly whole. Only God truly knows you, and only God can restore your soul. Friends won't do that for you. Don't practice intimacy that only belongs to your spouse. Jan will not go to a movie theater with a guy, even if I said it was okay, by herself. I won't go to a movie theater with a, a, a gal who's a, a good friend by myself. That intimacy belongs to my wife. Hers belongs to me. And don't do things with friends that only belong to your spouse. That will destroy you in many, many ways. Don't mistake popularity for friendship. And continue a friendship. Don't continue a friendship that harms you. Now, can you be friends with a difficult person? 
Absolutely. But when manipulation starts taking place, uh, when, the, when money starts disappearing that shouldn't be disappearing, when they don't keep their promise back to you about restore, maybe money they borrowed from you, when physical things start happening, and for those of you who are single and, and you, it is a, 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 a relationship between a boy and a girl and, and some sort of, uh, please, please do this, please do this, please do this, and it's got to do with sexuality, that is not a good relationship. That's not a good relationship. Um, I personally uh, have, was in a situation once where a girl, girl in high school wanted to be my friend. No, she didn't. She wanted to make the guy she wanted for a friend jealous so, he, so they could get together. You can be manipulated. Don't, don't put up with harmful relationships. That's the end. For you to be the best friend you can be and to have good friends, love Jesus first. Be his friend. Extend that friendship into other lives. That's, that's just my, what I got to say to you today. Love God. Love God with all of your heart. But that means love people with all of your heart. Lay down your life that they might live. That's what Jesus did for you. And the more you do that, the more you do that, the closer to Jesus you actually you will be. And he'll, you'll consider him one of your best friends. You should be your only best, 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 best friend. Your biffle. Your best friend for life. Will you bow your heads with me? I'd like to invite the prayer team forward, please. Heavenly Father, I just ask in the name of Jesus that you help us checkmark our lives. Lord, am I, am I expecting more out of my friends than, than, they, than they feel they have a right to expect from me? Am I, am I Lord, uh, hiding from people some of the wonderful gifts you've given me to give away? Am I thinking of me first rather than others? Help me, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Help me, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ to love like you loved, to discern where it's best to lay down my life, to see how I can treat people around me here better than I treat myself. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your goodness. We love you and we honor you, Lord. We want to be the friends, type of friend you want us to be. And help us to concentrate on that before we start concentrating on how many friends I have. Thank you for your love and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you heard this message today, you will greet someone on the way out and ask them what's up in their lives, okay? Love on them. Bless them. Thanks for being here. Take care of each other, will you? Men's breakfast, register by 518 or no sausage. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.